There are days that define your story beyond your life. Welcome to 5-Minute Arrival. The podcast where we look at the film Arrival five minutes at a time. I'm Robert. I'm Sarah. Any questions? Where do they want? Where are they from? Why are they here? This is a priority. Our priority today, minutes 66 to 70, which begin with us not finding out what the big question is from last time. And we have a guest, Curtis Blaze of... Uh, what's the name of the Time Bandit show? Yeah, that's the one that's coming. Uh, it's Time... Let me get this right here. Time Bandits Minute. Time Bandit Minute? Nope, Time Bandits Minute. And that's .com if you want to come find us. We've already said the last couple segments. It's time for the plot to get going. So this is where it kind of starts as this segment into... It It drags. I can't believe it. When I was When I was looking at the segments, it takes three segments to get from... Chaos of China to bomb going off. I'm like, I thought that was really close. <laughs> Even the next one, it's still, the timer's still going. Like, the bomb still hasn't gone. Oh, see, I'm of the opinion that there needs to be more stuff going on between those. Well, yeah, maybe. But as long as it's not plot. <laughs> I like I like the not plot oh, parts of this movie. The not plot parts are what really make this movie. Mm-hmm. The plot is weirdly, like, not available in... The short story it's based on. No. Minute 66. I'm sure you guys have covered this extensively. Yeah. But yeah, the short story is is very light on plot. We've got such a... And very heavy on physics. We've got such a, a, like, 2010, the year we make contact subplot happening in this movie. And it's kind of the same situation where it wasn't in the book. Yeah. Been a while since I saw 2010, but yeah, that's, that's <laughs> fit. I, I I was comparing it more to the abyss, like the aliens threaten, but that's the <gasps> nice. aliens threatening us. This is humans threaten us, and aliens well, save us. And so I get my things in the deep, trauma in the deep movies mixed up a little bit. <laughs> in the abyss, was that the one that had the say the 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 seal who was going crazy from pressure sickness? Yes. Okay. So yeah, we've even got that character. Yes, and Ed Harris goes down really deep, and in the extended version. The aliens create a tidal wave on every coast on the, in the world at the same time. Nice, I didn't hold realize it, that. Hold it in place as a threat. Oh wow, I didn't realize that. That's because they don't now like our nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> well, the extended version is like four hours long, so it depends how much you like the shorter version. But this is Arrival, uh, which this segment goes starts with Weber not telling, saying what the big question is, which I now I don't know what it is, but I don't care because he says ready or not, and. Then we go to Louise and Ian working side by side, and she's saying random things. No, this is the same as before. See, yeah, she's she just says I know, but between there and there, she's just pointing out something on a logogram on her screen. Well, this is one of those things where you're saying you're surprised how many segments it takes to uh, get to to the bomb going off. I'm like, uh, you know, if this movie were a lesser room movie. The scene where the entire room is desperately preparing for this encounter, mm. like in a lesser movie, I feel like this. if this were Armageddon, it would be fleshed out more. There'd be a whole scene where the team would get together to figure out how they were going to ask, what is your purpose to the aliens? Yeah. And then later on, while Louise was, ask, was asking it, she'd have a flashback to or, or a flash forward, however you want to put it on this movie, uh, some insight that she gets from her future daughter. Are we are we spoiling? Yes, time is not linear. Okay, so we'd have a we'd have a flash forward incident where her daughter would give her some insight, and she would then make a risky change to the uh, to the wording, and mm. that would be the, and that would get paid off. Yeah, or or they'd pay off the phrasing even like we're going to get off her weapon, but they skipped the part from the script where Weber made them figure out how to translate weapon. Like, that right. was one well, of the vocab words he added to her list. That's right. That's right. And we well, don't know how they got there. So what is your purpose is the big question that, ready or not, she's going to have to ask so that they can so that they can figure it out. Yeah. And, you know, I don't know. Well, they, they get interrupted by an alarm. Ian says, well, it's time to go. She says, okay. And we get another nice shot inside the ship of, uh, we get, a, it's a rolling surface at the top of the screen that pulls down to down looking down the tunnel, which we haven't done in a while. I think they're reminding us of the scissor lift because the bombing is coming. Right. Uh, and Louise and Ian are walking up the right wall. So, And before that, there's one thing visually I like in the know this is the same mm. part. It's like you see more of the language, like the printouts of mm-hmm. all the words on the wall. She's got her hair like in a messy bun. It's just very 
it's like time has passed. They're settled yes. into their Well, it roles. was, right. last we saw the news, it was day 25. Yeah. But I'd have to do the math, and I did not. I know coming up on the bombing, they are in, they just finished session 36. So yeah. however long that is, it well, eight session hours 36. apart. <laughs> How many how many days did it take him to get there? And eighteen hours apart, and thirty six. Well, means se- that session one would have been on day four. It's been at least a month or two at this point, probably. Well, I'm thinking it's been a eighteen month. days. Yeah. Well, thirty six well, it's, is. It's. Let's do the math. Yeah, let's actually do the math. <laughs> Every eighteen hours to me says that it is. Let's see, eighteen hours times thirty six is six hundred and forty eight hours divided by twenty four. 27 days. But it, okay. oh, so, well, so basically okay. since the last segment, days. two days have passed. Yeah. You'd think after that, many, after that many sessions, they would figure out how to position the scissor lift so that when they jumped out of it, <laughs> they wouldn't have to like jump 10 feet down? Well, they could have jumped on the closer wall. Well, you know? <laughs> is that how that works? Could they have jumped either way? Uh, well, I guess that's why he threw the glow stick the first time is so they'd know which wall is down. Okay, Maybe they so, never know which wall is down. Oh, that's interesting. Maybe it changes. Although, it seems like when they go into the chamber, there's always a, a, like a ceiling. Yeah. Well, the chamber might floor. change, though. Because just like there's no door until the door opens. Like, it could, the directions could change. The room could change. Okay. Well, we that's know. something that maybe you, you've discerned here in your watching, in your multiple watching. Yeah, the movie, the movie doesn't show that happen. It does show yeah. that there's no opening, and then there's an opening. We don't see the opening form. Hmm. But the the script and the story imply it's just kind of happened comes out of the surface. Okay, so that scissor lift could go up there, and this time it's like, oh, it's on the other side. <laughs> Plus, it looks better than walking in the empty space next to the scissor lift. It does. For this I shot. mean, I understand that. I understand that. And uh, yeah, you gotta and have that... the dramatic walk, <laughs> of course. Well, that brings up something: the cinematography in this in this movie. I, I'm going to sound like an amateur talking about this because I don't make movies, but it's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Everything is composed just so. This this director, how do you pronounce his name? Uh, Villeneuve. He is everything he's made. I have just have just been in love with visually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I watch movies that are bad that he makes just because I like watching them. <laughs> yeah, and his shots of inside of here are nice. And as we've said, it looks like it. We've said it reminds us of a movie theater, like the screen up at the front in the darkness. Yeah, and then yeah. Here we get another audience watching that, so he's taking us a step back. We cut to the people watching on the monitors. Very cool. And then we get the technicians putting up a monitor inside. Isn't it weird, this movie, how you you look at it through the eyes of someone who's been in lockdown now for a year? All these yeah, screens and talking. Zoom meetings and stuff. Yeah. That, you, that you, didn't, you didn't look at it this way in 2016 when it came out. Absolutely. And there's a part we haven't gotten to yet that reminded me of that when they're all up on the screen and some of them are blacked out. Oh, when they're disconnected. Yeah, I'm like, yep. this is a Zoom call. This they is my class. They just turned their camera off. <laughs> All my students are black square. <laughs> <laughs> are are both of you teachers? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and nobody has a screen on anymore. Is that accurate? Most won't. Uh, in mine, when I have a large group, there'll be a few with their screens on, and most of them will just be black with their name. Boy, my son yeah. is my son goes to school virtually. We mm-hmm. Iowa is a is a nightmarish dystopia of uh, virus denial but we enrolled him in a virtual academy for the year so that we wouldn't have to deal with it there are no no screens open except for the teacher on any of his classes (laughs) yeah it's weird (laughs) i can't imagine being a teacher and just talking into the blackness yeah especially when you're like hey anyone have any questions or what do you think about it and it's like you don't even know if they're paying attention (laughs) you don't even know if they're in the room exactly because they they also have their audio muted just Mm-hmm. There's right. nothing. There's nothing there. There's no feedback. They could be playing video games on the side. <laughs> yeah, they could be doing anything. So uh, next, we get to Louise trying to type in Heptapod, scrolling through a double column, which I wish I wish I had a better copy. Although, actually, I think mine's from the Blu-ray, but you can't read the labels on these things. She picks segments. The first one looks like Heptapod, but it has. Extra part sticking out of it. The second is only half of the logogram for Earth, so I'm not sure what exactly she's writing. How far along are you into actually being able to read these words? Uh, well, certain ones that have recurred, I can recognize immediately, but I also have, I've saved, I have the original list of 36 that were like an unofficial list of them. 
And then the other ones that have been in the movie, I've saved shot uh, screenshots of them. So I can figure out if we've seen them before or we'll see them later. Has but it, like Earth, this is only half of the logogram for it. Not the whole thing. Has anyone, have you guys spoken yet about the technology in this movie and how many programmers it must have taken just to create a gadget that does this? I mean, this is the first time it appears in the movie. In the context of the movie, you mean? In the context, yeah. 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 To, had, to break down that language into the pieces and make a program that can put them back that, together. Yeah, put them back together yeah. on the fly. This mm-hmm. quickly. I mean, 2016, we had pretty good computers. Yeah. We still have pretty good computers. I, You know, I just don't know what it'd take because I'm not a programmer, but... It, yeah, it's more what is the program she's using that can do that. These aren't just... And then these aren't form... just images... No. Yeah, they don't seem to just be images because it seems to move and moving seems to be part of the world. Sort work. of. Uh, the the thing she does is weird or the thing the computer does is weird because she, she says, okay, heptapod's purpose. We can assume, well, first word is heptapod. Second one is half of earth. The third one we assume is purpose. And the fourth one is definitely the little line that goes in for a question. Okay. We know that's a thing. And we get Costello waiting, Ian looking at the monitor. And then we get the monitor as the segment forms into half of earth. Heptapod, sort of, and then the question strand coming out of Earth, and then another thing. Then it changes, and we get the other half of Earth now, so it's not even the thing she typed. The question strand comes out of Heptapod, and then there's something else down at the bottom that's not what she picked. And then it changes again, put he- puts Heptapod on Earth, half of Earth on the right, and something else at lower left. And then she- it changes again, and two of the things just switch places, and the final symbol comes out. And so it's picking a word she didn't use and moving everything around. I don't know how it decides what order to put them because you they think don't explain that in the film. You, you think it's a deliberate suggestion of an algorithm yeah. in, in the movie's AI? Uh, it's it's some sort of complexity thing, yeah, in their AI because in the short story we've talked about a few episodes ago, the language is very complicated how they put it together because like the first strand can touch multiple clauses in the same sentence. Right. And so they type their thing, they write their things out of order to create a three-dimensional image. So I think it's just trying to show that somehow they've figured out the complexity of it, and it's still way more complex than we can figure out. Well, she had to do something while she wasn't sleeping. (laughs) Yeah. And we, yeah, we've only seen her just sitting at the computer drawing things on the, which got to this. What actual day-to-day tasks do you suppose Ian is performing other than just being... Uh, emotional support for louise at this point i think he's just helping her because we saw him he's in the he was in the same little tent within a tent with her they're quarantined together but at the beginning of the movie he has his, his own whole team who's supposed to like be doing stuff and those actors the people that play his team are still doing things on computers whenever they show the the combat information cave yeah in the tent but i can't at this point figure out what he would be doing i'm sure there's something obviously it's not his movie he's supposed to be figuring out physics stuff right using math uh, but they the movie doesn't care no it's a language <laughs> film <laughs> it's a, it's a movie about the language part so he's just also there so she says have potter purpose earth what is your purpose costello says something as the screen says conversion complete ready to publish she publishes the sign that is not that's not the one in the usual logogram list for Heptapod Purpose Earth. So it's actually different. Well, I guess what you were about to say, what I was anticipating you saying, was that she figured this out on the fly, what these what these words mean. Um, Is that partly. accurate? I mean, she's starting to see the language in the script at this point. She saw something that was written in English, but she saw the logogram in her head. Oh, okay. And so it's gotten even more complicated for her. In the movie, we've just had the fact that she's dreaming with the Heptapod there. Ian says, do we only have Costello? And Costello makes a noise, so he's like, yeah, is that a problem? <laughs> and then that's when Abbott comes walking in from the fog. Not from the left, which goes to my... Uh, you've, I don't think you've been listening to the show, Curtis, but the theory that these are just two big hands of some larger creature sitting in there. Because they don't come from two different directions. That's interesting. We're, <laughs> we're allowed to talk about minutes that we're not. Yeah. Because they are clearly not connected later on when she is taken into the... I don't know, their atmosphere near the end of the movie. Well, yeah, that's the one time we see the top of the creature, and it's a separate thing that I think they've is kinda, a little too humanoid in shape. They've got kind of schmoo heads. And because of the way their surface is textured, I still don't know where their eyes are. It would be interesting. Uh, hands, fingers on hands. 
Fingers on hands on fingers on giant hands. Fingers <laughs> on hands that are on fingers that are on giant hands that walk around like thing. Yeah. Oh, well, no, they're, they're, it's like a puppet show. Yeah, I gotcha. I gotcha. The alien's so big, he doesn't want to freak them out, so he's like, I'll just put my hands down there. Well, their vocalizations are coming from somewhere, and there's two different vocalizations. Mm-hmm. That means the guy is making his hands talk to each other. Yeah. <laughs> the the giant alien show. with the two hands. He's good with voices. But, do we know? Is it covered in the book or the script or any place else that I haven't read because I've only started uh, paying attention a week ago? Do the vocalizations like go along with what they're writing? Are they saying the thing that they're writing like the humans do? That is the implication in the film, and they assume that in the story. But their sounds are also simpler in the story. Louise actually attempts to reproduce them herself but isn't very good at it. The movie one is more... Fancy sounds sound like, effects that sounds like a whale song, yeah, yeah, combining animal noises and like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. It kind of sounds like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park, actually. Yeah, a lot of clicking and throat gurgle things going on. So then, I guess my question is: while you're watching it, when they walk up, they're like, "Oh, there's Abbott. Where's Costello?" And then Costello comes in and he's like, <laughs> "Is he just yeah. going? Oh, oh, hey, hey, everybody, I'm here." Well, cuz. <laughs> Yeah. Or Abbott, Abbott, Abbott says something first, like, ah, stupid Costello, like, wouldn't get out of bed in time. This and this would make more sense if it was Abbott who was late, because Abbott's the one who's going to die, and he knows that. Or, oh, no, no, they, Abbott they is late. Excuse that. me. Excuse me. Abbott's late. Costello. Oh, yeah. Cost- yeah. Costello's so it, it, the one going like, ah, oh, Abbott wouldn't get out of bed. <laughs> He's not eager to come to these meetings. He knows after this meeting, I think, yeah, it's after this meeting, he's going to die. Well, how come... Okay, so, wow, that just brings up so much, so many implications about free will. <laughs> yeah, free will versus determinism. I, is one I of the need major to put, things. at some point, I'm going to put that entire passage from the short story in my notes because there's this great thing where she's trying to figure out how the aliens think. She's like, it's not about a d- debate over free will. Their brain doesn't exist that way. They're not trying to enact their own lives, they are enacting the future because they know what it is. And so they're always moving toward a purpose that they understand, which psychologically is quite nice well but hard to think about from our perspective for louise she seems to understand things as things happen in the future but at the same time just stay with me so uh, what is his name the chinese shang shang tells her in the future what his number is and tells her what his wife said i know i'm Mm -hmm. getting way ahead and outside in my minutes here but would abbott know the future if that's how he's perceiving time if he doesn't know yeah but he would know all the time we the idea this i don't know if this is explained in the at the end of the film in her narration but she's not as good at it as they are because no that's not partly that's not really explained i'm kind of under the impression that well and that brings up larger questions it's it's it works like memory if you try to think of something from your childhood, it's not very clear and you have to focus on that specific thing. If you're trying to remember a phone number from years ago, it takes a moment of concentration to remember it. Okay, that and makes remembering sense. one from the future. With the aliens, that's the way they're thinking all the time. So it's a lot simpler for them and they they just kind of run with it. Time doesn't work the same way. That means in the uh, when they try to demonstrate this in the movie and she's talking to her daughter and her daughter says, what's that thing that means that there's a compromise but not compromise? Mm-hmm. That means she's also trying to dredge up the memory of this moment, or of the moment of that, she's talking yeah. to. Okay. Yeah, because she's th- thinking of that term. She's thinking of her daughter, and some of the editing makes that very obvious, like why things connect or why they don't. Right. But like the last one we saw was she, her thinking of her daughter with her cartoon about mommy and daddy. We don't so, know why that came up then. The place I'm trying to get to with all of this is why does Abbott let himself become the victim of this explosion because it's not see but you're thinking about it like a person who wants to fulfill individual needs and wants and everything else well okay so which is another comparison to the abyss those aliens are not individual because they literally from the novel anyway of the abyss they share memories when they touch each other and so they don't have a sense of individual identity these aliens it is his it's it's like destiny but a simpler version (laughs) Well, okay, that's uh, this is just the the weak part of this story for me, and this is every time travel movie, I guess, and every sort of thing ever mm-hmm. that tries to deal with nonlinear time and depicting it on a movie screen. 
that goes at 24 to 30 frames a second that we take in with our eyeballs. Well, and they never, it's rare for them to focus on that decision making. So we just have to guess how do they decide to go along with it. And see, even you're using the term go along with yes. it like there's a choice. Yes. And, and, and it's suggested later on that Ian thinks his mom made the wrong, not, Ian thinks Louise made the wrong choice in having their daughter. Yeah. And so the movie is suggesting that there is a choice. Well, or Ian is in the movie. He could be wrong. Right. He could be the side that's representing. Yeah, he's representing that idea and the audience is like, which which I've said before is why I like they changed the way her daughter dies. Right. In the original story, her daughter dies in an accident and an accident can be prevented. And so it would be much more, we can blame Louise for that. And that's not a good setting for the audience. No, I mean, I, I think they, I think they did it perfectly. I, mm-hmm. The message that would you forego all those good moments just because of, because of, because it ends badly is yeah. amazing. I mean, she writes a book later on, uh-huh. or now, but then, and in it you learn how to speak this language that helps you transcend linear time or or perceiving time. It helps you perceive time differently. Maybe. The language itself clearly isn't the only key because Ian is also there. He's watching it happen. I mean, she's better at it because she's a linguist and she is comprehending it. She's able well, to read it. She's able to write it in a couple of segments. That's what I was going to get at. Wouldn't you think that... And, and they broke up, so maybe he just lost interest in continuing it because it was kind of her passion. But wouldn't anyone who is as good as Louise at perceiving this language and rewiring their brains uh, in this way, on this day, start to have the same sort of future memory thing that Louise is having? If there's a linguist at each of the 12 sites, we should have 12 people who are going through this, potentially. Right. But But the implication is it's just Louise. So maybe it doesn't translate, that's a bad word choice, doesn't transmit to humans very well that change let's say now that as linguists there are i don't i I wouldn't even begin to know how many linguistic students there would be uh (laughs) in colleges at any given time in the world but her class was very small well that day (laughs) although it wasn't a it wasn't the lecture hall so i assume there's a lot (laughs) but but if you had a lecture hall full of people at every campus Mm -hmm. probably with the increased interest in linguistics after this encounter after the arrival yeah wouldn't all of those people 30 years from now that have a grasp on how this works and their brains starting to get rewired all be running around right now, so to speak, kind of knowing what is happening? Wouldn't there just be hundreds no. of thousands of people? Well, that's the difference between the heptopod understanding and the human understanding. Until Louise is there learning it, she can't remember the future. Once but, she does, yeah. she'll be able but to. So gonna, once but they're learning be... it, they'll be knowing things. But there's... And that could but be good. I guess good. what I'm saying is there's hundreds of thousands of 19-year-olds right now in 2016, in this movie now, um, that are going to go to college to become linguists because of the arrival. And yeah. they're going to learn this language and their brains are going to get rewired. We can hope. So as they as they because learn... Because they become better people. <laughs> as they learn this thing, then... Okay, I think I'm starting to wrap my mind around this. <laughs> because I'm saying that she doesn't... Okay, probably at the moment that they're learning it is where it starts being a thing. Yeah. Okay, I got it. Okay. It might also be the difference between she was in the room with them doing it. Maybe they were altering it directly. The movie doesn't tell us. No, okay, that all makes sense. Just that it works. Because I think one of the big questions people have is how come Ian doesn't also know all this stuff? Yeah. And I think that answers it pretty well if the listeners were able to follow what we just went through. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't understand. Right. In this segment, we see the difference. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. (laughs) And even here, Weber asks, what does it say? But Ian doesn't know what it says. Louise reads it without looking at the monitor. She knows what Costello writes. Well, isn't it interesting that her perception of that word is also weapon? Well, because it was on the vocab list. That's a problem with the movie. Is right. that we didn't see them figure out how, what the alien word for that was and how they did it in the script. It's a specific little plot. That's another scene that would have been in this had uh, it been directed by the Armageddon guy. Wait a minute. I'm not going to try to guess. <laughs> that was not Michael Bay, but those other guys, I think. If this had been a Michael Bay movie, there would be a scene after this where they dramatically are going through the list of words and they finally come up with weapon. And then there'd be like a musical sting. <laughs> yeah. The movie really just gives us the benefit of the doubt of being able to 
understand what's being done. Yeah, and now that we got past Ian's little bit of narration, we can even go back like it's a normal movie. They jumped us ahead and skipped all that. We saw them learn teaching the word walk, right. and that's the only one we saw. Right, but we, and then we just can we assume they now. taught yeah. a bunch. Yeah. So now we have to just jump ahead and say they learned a bunch of words. I just I love movies like that that don't have to just spoon feed you stuff as you go. In this case, I wish they'd spoon fed us instead of jumping to a plot. But oh it's fine. well. <laughs> you know, uh, there are there are books like, you know, Calculating God. There are movies like this. And they're just, you know, things where they just kind of walk you through the, the physics rather, or, you know, the science of a thing rather than walking you through the plot points. Yeah. You feel like there isn't quite enough there there in this movie. Like you want more meat on that. Well, especially this now going through it. I read the short story and read the script and then came back to the movie again. And the short story, there's a whole section in there where he's explaining how light moves like using physics and this it's not mentioned in this movie at all well that's because it's a different setting like a yeah. different genre a different style of art is gonna i just wish someone would talk i mean they're talking about linguistics which is awesome but if he talked about that whole shortest like there's even a track in the soundtrack that i think takes its title from that even though it's not in the movie this is how light chooses the shortest path to get somewhere well and as long as we're kind of in that mode does the short story talk about how the ink or whatever that comes out of their hands It doesn't come fingers. out of them in the short story. It's formed... They write with these little ball things. Okay. The ink is not biological in the story. I like that part of the movie, because it makes it more alien. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a visual for the movie, but we have to think about... I mean, the reason why it's different is how we consume art. If you're reading a short story, and you get to a complex part, you can think about it, you can stop for a little bit, mm, you can go true. back and read it again. If you're watching a film, you're trying to keep the audience's attention visually. Were the words, were the letters... Were the phrases represented as circles in the short story? Yes. Um, well, sort of. They were more three-dimensional, but yes. Well, that comes up later, though, doesn't it? Kind of, because when she's in the fog with Costello, you can kind of see that it's written at an angle. It's not a two-dimensional thing exactly. I guess what I'm referring to is the part with Ian, like the one thing he actually does in the movie, where he figures out that all the words are also represented three-dimensionally not just as individual words floating around yeah right after the explode the, like that set of words oh when they get the, bu the bunch of them yeah right right in this moment my the thing i like is that costello writes off her weapon and then costello leaves when we cut back to the glass and it dissipates costello's gone like he didn't <laughs> he didn't want to answer this question oh my god he's like i'm done does it take two aliens to communicate is that a thing. No. Is one of them like, are they there to supervise each other to make sure that they're both saying the right thing, do you suppose? Well, why is Ian there? You know, that there's, we have Louise and Ian. We, we don't need Ian. We don't need Mark sitting there operating the camera. The camera can work on its own. Oh, that's what I'm wondering. It's always Louise, Ian, and then Mark's and two other technician guys. They don't need so, those people. Well, no, but yeah, Captain Mark's is kind of also the military. Yeah. Like, they're not going to just send two scientists in without being represented. All, all the factions want to be represented when it comes to the human side. Is that what's going on with the aliens? Are there, you know... Possibly, or they just travel together. This was their road trip. Do we know if there are multiple aliens on the ship? No. We don't even we know don't, that there's more than two aliens on the planet. We don't even know if those two aliens are two aliens. I, the math didn't work out. I did do it. But I said before, it's possible that these two aliens are in all 12 ships and they're just all going from meeting to meeting to meeting, but it actually doesn't work out with the 18-hour window. How long is the session? Do we know? Uh, an hour and 20 minutes-ish. I think the Australia guy said that. Oh, okay. After an, about an hour 20, the gravity switches and they just kind of slide out. Am I just asking you things that you've already talked about 17,000 times in the previous 60 minutes? Not entirely, <laughs> no. Do the Do the <laughs> ships all fit together as... A twelfth of a sphere? Not perfectly. Because of the curves, they wouldn't, their edges wouldn't go together. Okay. Continuing here, we cut out of the scene to the debate over what to do about this. Because Marx, Marx is the angry one, is the military rep, I guess. You saw what they wrote. And Louise says, using a word they don't fully understand. That look that Marx gives when they say, give weapon. Offer weapon. Offer weapon. That right there is the, the scene where you know that he's the one that's uh, uh, behind the bomb later on. If you think back to it, that guy, the look I don't on even, his face. See, up until this point, I didn't think he was. But then I was watching the next segment. And I'm like, I think Marx might be. In, I can't tell these white guys apart. Well, no. Yeah, Marx. Well, he's not the one who's who is supposed to be in charge of it. It's uh, Combs and La La what's his name? Land Landy? Lancy. 
are the ones in charge of the military expedition? Well, they're the two that we've seen watching the news, and they barely have any dialogue. The one was talking to his wife over the computer. Marx is always in the room when when there's a chief of staff's meeting. True, because he's the captain. And he's the one that they cut to after they say offer weapon, who gives that look like, uh, he he's the first clue that, that the military is not on board with the idea of offer weapon, or at least a faction of the military. Yeah. You know, that's interesting. Colonel Weber does not seem to be the type of person that would order the destruction of the aliens. He seems more like a, just a good manager. Mm-hmm. Like when he's in the spaceship with Louise and Ian, Louise is in charge, even though he's the boss. Yeah. He is, you know, letting her run the show. Well, even in this segment, it's Halpern who decides they're going, they're going to cut off their signal. And then Weber says, yeah, do it. Like, right. Weber just, he still just does what he's told. Well, and I wonder if Halpern too is maybe secretly the guy who made the decision that Mark should put a bomb in there. I, I'm, I'm assuming it's Mark's. You know, because he's the CIA, if you start to go back to submarine movies where the Russians have have their KGB on board, you know, yeah. the political guy, the whatever, is the one kind of uh, making the sabotage decisions. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if there's a scene somewhere that we didn't see where, where Halpert and, and, and Marks get together and he's like, okay, what can you do here? Because clearly these guys are a threat. They're saying offer a weapon. We need to blow them up. And, Lasky. Uh, I, I found his name in my notes, finally. Oh, Lasky's the other, the... He's the one that we saw talking to his wife, and the one we saw just, I think, last segment, watching Richard Riley on the, on his computer. Captain Marks. I'll compare his face next segment, because we see a bunch of close-ups of the guys who... It's four guys who go into the ship to put the bomb in. So, Marks might be one of them. Okay, that's a really good... That's something I didn't do. The way they had Captain Marks react to the words offer weapon, to me was enough proof that probably he's in on it. If you actually see him in it later, eh, you know, I, I'm just going to have to come listen to the show. Yeah. <laughs> and continuing here, we got Louise explains, well, Mark says it could be a request, a warning. Weber says enough. And They're kind of debating what the what the meaning of offer weapon means. Yeah. And Louise says, we don't know if they understand the difference between a weapon and a tool. Our language, like our culture, is messy, and sometimes one can be both. Ian says, and it's quite possible that they're asking us to offer them something, not the other way around. It's like the first part of a trade, which we already heard in a part that was in the script, not the movie, that Weber doesn't like the idea of trading things because he thinks that's what China is doing, is trading technology. Oh, interesting. That isn't really part of the movie, is it? No. Well, they do. They did mention them taking, or is that in the script? I don't know. Something about a nuclear weapon being taken in. Did they did they talk in the in the book about the Chinese using mahjong no. tiles? The Chinese thing that plot is not even in the story. Oh, that's right. That's not even. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So Weber asks, "How do we clarify their intention beyond those two words?" And Louise says, "Well, I go back in right away. We go back in and we clear this up." Which I'm still bothered by this. They have an, a little over an hour every time, and they don't stay in there the whole time. I was going to say the same thing. Like, why wouldn't you be like, in there? I have an for, hour with an alien. Last, I'm staying until they kick me out. Until the last second, yeah. Mm-hmm. They've had time to come back, debate what this symbol was, and then then Louise and Ian are going to go back in. Well, so that that brings up kind of a point just about the scene. It's a little nitpicky, but how long how, how long did the session last? How long did they have to get there? We have no idea. The first session seemed like it took five minutes. It takes a certain amount of time to find a truck, get going, drive across the thing, get the slow scissors lift working. All that stuff that needs to happen in order for them to go visit them. The long walk down the quarter mile long hallway, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And okay, so, but we do know how long they have after the session. Well, there's a timer once the bomb's there. Right. So we've got an, so we've got an end point. Oh, I guess that doesn't have to be that. But even that's not the end of the session. That's just when the bomb goes off. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't and... seem plausible that, that there would be a, we have to go right back in there. Right. Session 36B. Yeah. <laughs> Halpern says it's more complicated than that. And Luis says, how is it more complicated than that? Some guy walks in and says, Colonel, the Secretary of Defense is on the line for you. You know, someone need Weber out of the room. So that Halpern can have his little statement where he says, we need to sit on this information until we know what it means so we aren't sharing it with our enemies. We must consider the idea that our visitors are prodding us to fight among themselves until only one faction prevails, which Louise says there's no evidence of that. And Halpern says, sure there is. Just grab a history book, the British with India, the Germans with Rwanda, they even got a name for it in Hungary. Salami tactics! <laughs> yes! Salami tactica, which, yeah, translates as salami tactics. 
which is a term probably coined by Stalinist dictator Matyas Rokosi to describe how the Hungarian Communist Party took over Hungary, or possibly coined by his opponent, the leader of the Hungarian Independence Party, Zoltán Pfeiffer. But it basically means you deal with your enemies one at a time. And it's similar to divide and conquer. Well, that seems like such an obvious thing that you would think. I Just the fact that there wasn't a word for it before 1940 surprises <laughs> me. Because, I mean, that's completely on the time bandits minute. We're up to uh, we're up to Napoleon. That's totally the tactics Napoleon was using at the Battle of Castiglione. Slicing off pieces of bologna and taking them out one at a time. Yeah. Not quite the same. It's not a political move. It's a battle tactic, but it, it translates. Yeah, well, as I said, it's similar to divide and conquer, which you don't need a word if you got three, I guess. I guess Agent Halpern is just smarty pants. Because he leaves it hanging. He, he knows it. He's going to walk out of the room and they're going to be like, hey, Google. Yeah. <laughs> well, or, well, she might know. She's She knows words. She had her whole kangaroo lie earlier. That's true. That's true. And her Sanskrit. And then Halpern says, yeah, we're a world with no single leader. It's impossible to deal with just one of us and with the word weapon now. And his phone buzzes and he walks out. Then we get the scene that, Sarah, you mentioned already where the screens are going off because they go into the main tent, Louise and Ian, and the China screen and the two Russia screens are already black. I will point out that the tables change positions as they go because we get Japan at the back and then Sierra Leone, but when they reverse, they're in a different order. Oh, I didn't realize that. This place gives off a strong echo-based vibe yeah. from Empire. And Halpern says, what did they say? China and Russia are off the grid. They aren't speaking to anyone. Whatever they learned in their last session has them spooked. He says, yes, sir. We have orders to do the same. Luis says, wait, these are our allies. Ian says, Colonel, Colonel, you can't shut us down. Halpern says, put us on radio silence and Weber agrees. Do it. Then Luis goes for the mic. She starts to talk. She says, we received a message from the Hept. And it gets cut off because USA disconnects. Damn it, we need to be talking to each other. And Halpern says, you want to talk to them? Find out what this means. And he holds up the paper that has a printout of offer weapon. And over the PA, it says, effective immediately based camp talk is now offline. All interpreters and international liaisons stand down and report to unit coordinators. Then we see Venezuela disconnects, Sudan disconnects, Pakistan disconnects, Japan disconnects. We cut to outside as Louise and Ian are heading for a pickup truck as another truck is being cleaned off nearby because they just got back. In the behind the scenes of this movie, was it relatively low budget or did Dennis get some money for it? Um, I don't know. Because they have the interior of these tents. Yes. It's not set up like any other military movie that has ever been made. And it's not set up like the real military, which I was in. Like there The were budget never... was $47 million. Okay, so really relatively low. So yeah. it was really kind of genius that he set up this tent city that's all inside. So he could just go to any warehouse set up a bunch of cheap canvas and do all the military stuff inside of this thing. And it's probably you know, the same tent over and over again. They just rearrange the tables. I guess this is just another uh, point I'm making about how beautiful this movie is and how, I don't know, it just seems like they really wisely spent the money where it was needed because the aliens yeah. are completely believable. It's pretty contained while feeling very expansive, mm -hmm. which is a good use of Well, yeah, budget. they just cut to them outside in that open Montana, well, Montana in air quotes space. And it opens up the film, but then we just come back to all these interiors and they're all the same. Or inside the ship is just that one set. Yeah, the the concept still, though, it opens it up without them having to spend money to make it open. Yeah. They didn't have to build a big city and a big complex. They just have Montana. Filmed on mm -hmm. location, by the way? Filmed in outside of Montreal. Okay, well, that makes sense. Every place... <laughs> Single places in Canada are every place in America. Yeah, this this field is outside of a town called Saint-Fabien. Gotcha. Well... Yeah, and other than one helicopter, all the other military equipment could be the CGI stuff. They have some pickups, so they're not spending a lot of money on the actual things. They just do nice visuals later. We're back to, like, what people do they need to have on board with them to go do this thing. It seems weird to me that there isn't a perimeter that checks people in and out of it in order to go to the spaceship. They're too busy. Well, it seems really trusting to me that there aren't permanent guards guarding a single choke point from the base to the spaceship. Well, in the script, it's because they're busy guarding the perimeter where all the regular civilians are. All the people are, yeah. But we barely get that in the movie. We saw it once and then they just kind of ignore it. That's, a, that's the only thing that kind of rings hollow to me on this or, or not so real. Having been in the military, for sure, some E1 would be having to stand watch. 
in case the door opens not on schedule or in case the spaceship moves. Like there would be a person with sound powered headphones sitting there just putting a watch on that thing and not letting people by unless they are on a list that they're allowed to go, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. Well, maybe that's Lasky's job or Combs' job. And so they're just not doing it when this comes up because next segment they just tell them, oh, yeah, go ahead, go on in. Once they realize they can't say, don't go in, there's a bomb. But that's next time. This segment still has a little bit left. Ian says, look, Louise, trust me, okay? We've got time. We've just got to step on it, all right? And we cut to the news, audio first, use weapon. This is the alien message said to have provoked the Chinese government to withdraw their scientists from the international mission today. In a statement, General Shang said, China no longer trusts the aliens who want to divide us. Humanity must be protected. And we see a picture of General Shang, chairman of People's Liberation Army. I hate to mark your podcast as a particular place in time, but I'm going to go ahead. <laughs> is okay. it interesting in 2016 that China is being depicted as the one calling for the world to unite? I mean, there's a couple of things like that in this movie where Dennis really had a better understanding of world politics than our politicians. Or Eric Heisser, the guy who wrote the script. Well, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's he's the, the, he's the one that added the General Shang element. And But also, in terms of the plot, they're the ones that are potentially dividing everything because people don't know what they're reacting to. Well, they're going to the United Nations to call for that, though. Yeah. Who was it? It was it was Agent um, Halpern that made the point that humanity cannot survive if it's tribalistic and fragmented. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's definitely the bad guy in this movie who's trying to... I don't know, standing in the way of successful conclusion of the plot. Yeah. But isn't it interesting how that particular thing has aged and it made you think, oh, maybe he's not the bad guy. Well, if, if that's his understanding of the situation. It's less his opinion and more the fact that he has the authority where his opinion matters. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Because he can keep them from talking to the aliens. He can keep them from talking to the other people at the other sites. And where China has asked for immediate talks at the UN, as you said, that's the last line of this segment. And we get a shot under the shell of that's too small. And I thought it was Louise and Ian until I glanced at the next segment. They're not there yet. They are still on the way in a pickup truck. So the people getting into the scissor lift will be someone else. And we'll, well, we've already mentioned why, but we'll find out <laughs> why next segment. You'll figure it out. Yeah. What they're doing. We'll figure out who they are. We know they're oh, Lasky that's... and Combs. We'll see if Marx is there. That's interesting because I didn't pay too much attention to that when I was watching the movie. And so when I got to the end of the minute, I was thinking, oh, yeah, there they go. There they go up into the thing. Yeah, but it's not them. Yeah, so it wasn't clear to me that the soldiers who had the uh, explosives were also headed up there. Mm -hmm. They're getting in at the end of this session, which if they stayed the whole time, this wouldn't have happened. Where do either of you guys think this movie fits into our current political situation in America? (laughs) We did talk about that. Yeah. Relation to coronavirus, relationship to, well... I think it's interesting that this film seems to be setting up like a pro-US, pro-Western versus China thing, similar to the anti-Russia movies of the 80s. Kind of, has yeah. like a, China's the, the villain and we can't trust. But then it has the China villain is wants everyone to work together, even though they're sending out military, while Halpern wants everyone to stop talking, but he's doing the good. Yeah. It does a good job of combining those elements, but also, yeah, using China as the villain and CIA guy as the villain is a little obvious. This was being filmed at the point in which Donald Trump's candidacy was considered a joke, 2015. Right. Yeah. And nobody was taking that seriously. No. He was talking about how, like, in pop culture at the same time this was being filmed, they were hearing a candidate talk about how China's the bad guys. And that wasn't being necessarily ignored at the time the way that it is now. Because I don't think we realized like what a what a dumpster fire that was going to turn out to be. <laughs> um, no, and then it's also the movie isn't putting itself in a specific time exactly. Also, it's not set in 2016 specifically. Right, I'm kind of talking about the... Well, if you think about it, it's set at all times. Yes, that is true. <laughs> But, I, I mean, in terms of making the movie, you know, it's it's very interesting to me. Dennis, in an interview, had said that he was afraid at the time he was making it that this was going to come off as a pro-life movie because of her choosing to have her baby. Interesting, because I didn't even think of that 
Yeah, well, neither did I. It wasn't until I read it from him saying that he was afraid it was going to come off that way that I even had an inkling that, that, that you could. And I guess, you know, I don't know, people are grasping for something. That could be a message just taken away. I mean, you can... I, I guess that maybe that'll come up when we get to when Ian says it was that she made the wrong choice. <laughs> we'll talk. <laughs> oh, even he uses the word choice. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. And yeah, that, is, that hasn't even come up. Wow, so this movie, underrated, my opinion. I don't think enough people fawn over this movie as much as it deserves. It's just an incredible work of art. The movie itself, because my experience is that I was blown away by the twist, that it was actually future her. Yeah. And the reason she was having these memories is because of the, the language. That really helped sell the whole thing to me. Mm-hmm. When you were watching it for the first time, you and Sarah, either of you, did you experience that same sort of almost wonder? It takes a lot anymore for me to be blown away by a movie, and I was by this one. And going up to it, before I watched it, all the reviews were like, oh, long, drags, boring. Yeah. So what was your impression of this movie as as you watched it? Before you knew you were going to talk about it. Well, I was fascinated because this film had everything that I love in one film. Philosophy, communication studies, and, well, mostly those two. Yeah, no, I, I <laughs> loved it. If I'm it thinking and that, the whole time, then Yeah, I'm that's happy. good. And that, that wonder you're talking about is def- was definitely there at the twist. And I think it's gotten more so as we've talked about it. Because now I'm seeing more about the structure and the film aspects of it. Because we're what, 70 minutes in and the plot hasn't quite happened yet because the movie is, it was resisting having a plot for a while. And yeah. I like that. And I don't need a plot in my films. Well, no. Tree of Life's my favorite movie. Yeah. So. <laughs> Just the story of everything. And in the short story of this, it involves all of human history from beginning to end or potential end. Well, how, how could this movie have played out without a plot if we didn't have the plot? I think as a movie, it couldn't, unfortunately. The short story gets away with it because the short story is just like, I went back to work and now I teach this to people and I had my, like, we already know she had a daughter. We know what's going to happen in the future. Right. So it doesn't need an ending as such. It can just kind of end or stop. For a film, we require more or we don't watch it. And even this one, I think, has too much of what I like, what you like, Sarah, Mm -hmm. so that some audiences see the trailer and they're like, it's a movie about people talking to aliens and that's it. I remember it. We don't know there's going to be potential violence and potential like world war at the end of this movie. That is not the impression I got from the trailer. When I watched the trailer for this before the movie came out, it kind of came off as creepy alien horror movie. They did some jump scary stuff in the trailer that kind of gave you the impression that there was Oh, they be... show the thing from her dream, don't they? Where the yeah. heptapods right there in the room with her. Right, they show that. Yeah. They show the they show the hand coming up to the to the glass and going mm-hmm. from out of nowhere. They do some jump scary stuff. So when I started hearing the reviews about it and people saying it was boring, I'm like, okay, well, this is probably just a horror movie with, you know, 10 boring jump scares and not much else going on. So I kind of resisted watching it for a while. Hmm. And then I started, you know, I listened to the Red Letter Media or whatever, and it's like, oh, this really is something. I should see this. And so that's how I got into it originally back uh, probably six months, a couple months after it came out, VOD. It's one of those movies I wish I could have seen in theater because it's a visual experience. It's a... It's you really yeah. there's no there's no edges to this world. There's no you can see where the gaffer tape is at the edges of the shot. It is just a beautiful, immersive world that you step into when you're watching this movie. Yeah, other than some misplaced like labels on the computers this segment. <laughs> and sure. clearly they're just rearranging tables in the same tent. Yeah, there's not much so far that's been like obvious visual mistakes or like problematic movie things like that. And I never notice those things anyway. I'm like not the person who does. I'm always like in my head. So that's why I said I like films that make me think or just experience it as art. But mm, yeah. I'm not Which this good movie at, works yeah. for that because it lets <laughs> exactly. you just be immersed. So in this it. film worked for me and a lot of my students like it since they're mostly upper division com, com majors. majors yeah. It's one that gets brought up in class a lot. And I've had several students that are like, oh, this is my favorite movie. And they'll bring it up in presentations and discuss it. Just because there is so much calm theory. In yeah. It. Well, so Sarah. Yes. Languages that sort of encompass whole phrases in, in, in single symbols. Is that a thing? Sort of. Uh, we talked about that when he mentioned nonlinear orthography. Similar to Chinese things, but not quite. I guess that's the, the alien question. Ones a little more complicated. We I'm trying to think. That's a little bit more linguistic. 
linguistic yeah. and not like calm theory. So, that's but there not there are some area. symbol <laughs> things like that. the The best example of what they're doing is actually more modern, not language exactly, but emojis. Because yeah. a single emoji, especially if you use it all the time with certain people, has oh a God. much bigger meaning than yeah, just one image, picture. which would be semiotics and mm-hmm. communication studies yeah. which we talked about symbolism several episodes ago when he mentioned yeah. it. this is kind of my mind blown minute for uh for this podcast <laughs> then i never okay. thought about that but yeah these are emojis aren't they they really kind of kind of are in a very in a very simplistic way of of putting that she's scrolling yeah she's scrolling through an app that just deals with emojis they just yeah. switched them out <laughs> i mean now we solved it i know you're making a joke but yeah kind of <laughs> It's like, I need a hand. I need the hand to have a thumb up. Don't accidentally That's use the eggplant. Right. Wow. I guess speaking of being blown away by movies, where can the listeners hear you talk about other movies? Well, Time Bandits is a, uh, a movie that was made in 1981 by uh, Terry Gilliam. And he is kind of famous for having attention to detail, even though it's all like squalid, dirty, gross detail <laughs> in the background. People eating dirt and everybody wrapped in plastic. You can hear us talk about that kind of thing at timebanditsminute.com, which basically points to our Twitter, which we aren't even launching yet until about 2022, but I'm very excited about it. 2022? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been busy recording. We don't want to get you ahead of ourselves. You have recorded, though. Okay. Oh, yeah. We're up to minute. Right now, as as you and I talk, we're on minute, uh, I don't know, 13, 17, 19, something like that. Okay. We, d- we kind of don't want to race the clock. Let's do the recording part of it and then do the release part of it. I don't have the patience for that myself, so we're just four weeks ahead. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, yeah, this episode will be out long before your show exists. Yeah. That, gi- that gives me the shakes. <laughs> but, but we do have fun stuff at our various pages. As we discover things about Time Bandits, we're, we're sharing them. It, it can be worse. Yeah, we did... Pump up the pump up the minute we recorded faster. we between recording and releasing the episode the longest was four hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's like a pretty good min- show. Minimal buddy. editing, clean the audio, release. I don't I don't know if I agreed with you on that movie because I kind of because it was kind of formative for me, but that was a really good show. Thank, Thank you. you. Yeah, if anyone's listening and right listeners now, listeners, go listen to Pump Up the Minute. You mm. Totally should. Yeah, here's <laughs> talk about music and politics and I don't know adolescent movies. Teenage movies. movies. Well, that was that's the uh, that's the podcast that made me excited to to like be on the air, so to speak, with Sarah because like, oh yeah, I really we've got this new person now in podcast mm-hmm. world. That's ah uh, no, <laughs> help and let me out. She's one of us. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, that just happened. Thank you for listening. Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Five Minute Arrival. Or go to lemmingdrops.com for links. I used to think this was the beginning of your story.